Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. The latest book for my wife, Grace and I, Win Your War, is available for pre-sale. It releases at the end of September. We're gonna look at how God creates Satan counterfeits and how there is a spiritual attack for your relationship with God, yourself, others, and the church. Super biblical, super practical. Pre-order today, Win Your War. Well, it's a great honor to be with you. And uh, yeah, I was with you last uh, two years ago and it was with the transition from Pastor Jimmy Evans to Pastor Jimmy Witcher. And it was a great honor to be here. It's exciting to see that the church is healthy. It's moving forward. It's growing. You all are adding campuses and the ministry continues to expand. And uh, as Pastor Jimmy articulated, uh, since I saw you last, we did plant the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You know, it's a great church with a name like that. And uh, we found the trinitychurch.com for 200 bucks. So that was uh, two or three witnesses. That confirmed it for me. And so uh, we did launch and we've got five kids there and it was really cool. The Witchers came out for opening Sunday along with Garth and uh, Teal led worship for us because we, we didn't have a worship uh, pastor at the time. We since have found a great person to fill that role. Uh, pastor Jimmy Evans is serving on our board. The Witchers are dear friends of ours. This feels like home. I know you know that you've got wonderful leaders at this church and that the leadership of this church really has a heart to help other leaders and churches, but it's actually a lot more wonderful than you probably even know. Uh, we feel very, very loved, very supported, very encouraged, very instructed, very directed through the relationships that we have here. And we're just very, very grateful. And it's a great honor to be with you. So I'm very excited to be here and, uh, and just bring you warm greetings from the Trinity Church in Scottsdale. God provided a great church building, a historic mid-century modern church home. Pastor Jimmy Evans prophesied it. It's always nice to have a guy who could prophesy. And so uh, I flew out before we launched our church and I was thinking about renting a building and I asked Pastor uh, Jimmy Evans, I said, uh, you know, what do you think about building? He said, well, you're gonna get a building off the 101 freeway in Scottsdale. It's gonna seat maybe 800 and it'll be a church. So just wait till that's available. So I called the realtor and he said, that has never happened in the history of Arizona. And Jimmy Evans said, it well, just wait. Okay, so... And it did. They called and they said, oh, there's an 800-seat church right off the 101 in Scottsdale, Arizona. I was like, well, they're one for Jimmy Evans. And so, um, so yeah, so if you need anything, just ask Jimmy. He knows the future. It's super helpful. Uh, and so God's really used their leadership to help instruct us and to help set us up. And things are going really, really really well. We love you and it's very good to be here with you. And if I seem a little awkward, it's because I'm not used to a round room. Like, let me just start by apologizing to all these people, okay? I, this is not great, I know that. And this is not better, I can tell you that for sure. If my, if my wife Grace were here, I'd have her stand here and look at all of you because she's lovely. And, and I just feel bad that this is what you have to deal with because it, March 12th will actually be the 30th anniversary of our first date. And here's what I've learned about men and women. Uh, women age like wine, amen? And men age like milk. That's what I've learned in 30 years. Um, so I just wanna apologize up front for everybody back here. Okay, um, here's what we'll do then. Let me start with a little bit of a story. And I felt like having more of a, a practical pastoral word. It's that time of the year in January where you're trying to figure out your finances, you're trying to figure out your calendar, you're trying to figure out your health and your weight. Perhaps the hardest thing that you're gonna to have to manage this year, and I want you to start tonight, is managing your relationships. Let me start with a story. Some years ago, I went on my first mission trip. Uh, this was a long time ago. I was a young pastor, so I had a lot of energy and I had bangs. And my bangs have since gone home to be with the Lord. But nonetheless, um, 
I had a lot of energy in bangs. And so I thought it'd be pretty exciting to go on an international mission trip. So uh, they said, we'll land and then go outside and then uh, somebody will pick you up and take you out to this rural village where you'll be able to preach. I said, okay, that'd be great. So I get out and all I see are motorcycles. Nobody's driving a car. Nobody's driving a car, it's all motorcycles. I see a family, I kid you not, going by a motorcycle, dad driving, mom behind him, grandma behind her, a kid hanging off the back, a kid hanging off the front, and a chicken, and a chicken. There's always room for a chicken. And so I thought to myself, if they pull up, if a chicken pulls up on a motorcycle, I'm gonna go back in the airport and I'm going back home because I'm willing to be a missionary if you pick me up in a car and take me to a Hilton. That's the kind of missionary I am. I'm not gonna lie to you, that's just the way that it is. Well, thankfully they pulled up in a car and I jumped in the car and I felt pretty safe until we started driving. And immediately you realize there are no lanes, there are no stop signs, there is no speed limit, there are no rules. The whole country is a prison riot, that's what it is. And so everyone is doing whatever they want to do and turning around, no lanes, head on. I'm amazed that there's anyone left in that country. And it just goes to show that when you have a lot of people, everyone needs to find their lane and stick in their lane if there's to be any progress. Let me pull that analogy into your relationships. The sociologists tell us that you have the interaction annually with between 500, those of you who are introverts, about 500 people a year. Those of you who are more extroverted, two and a half thousand people a year. Some of you are Walmart greeters and you really kill the scale. Some of you are, you know, highly relational. Some of you have an Italian family. You know, you've got a lot of people. But for, for the average person, it's hundreds, maybe thousands of people that you need to manage. And what is really important is to make sure you understand what lane everybody should be in. And, and they agree that that's the lane they need to be driving in. Otherwise, your whole life is just relational chaos, lots of head-on collisions, and lots and lots of problems. So what I wanted to do was really talk about three kinds of people and six kinds of relationships. And we're gonna talk about lane number one is wise people, lane number two is foolish people, lane number three is evil people. Uh, let me start with three ways to view people. There are, and if they'll throw that scripture up from Luke chapter two, that would be helpful. Um, there are three ways to view people. The first way, and some of you would have this, is naive. And if you're naive, you sort of trust everyone, you believe the best about everybody, and you find yourself getting hurt. How many of you, uh, don't raise your hand because we don't want you to get picked on, but um, you're, you're a little bit naive, right? You're a little too trusting, a little too gullible, a little too easygoing, and as a result, you tend to trust too much. Uh, some of you are completely the polar opposite. You're paranoid, okay? And I know there's some of you here in Texas. I know that. You're, you live off the grid. Um, you're waiting for Armageddon. For some reason, you think you have enough ammo to live through. I don't know why you'd want to. If it's a zombie apocalypse, take me to Jesus right now. I don't want to be holding down the fort. But, you know, some of you are just relationally paranoid because you've gotten burned or hurt, or maybe you're one of those people who reads Revelation a lot, and you've scratched out your end times theology and crayon on an ammo box. And you're just kind of a little bit paranoid. You don't really trust people. That, that's a joke elsewhere. In Texas, I guess it hits a little close to home. <laughs> just an observation, not a judgment. I did wear my boots, so now you'll like me again. An animal gave his life, so here we go. Okay. Um, the, the third way to view people is discerning, realizing that different people are different and you treat different people differently. I'll read a verse uh, from John chapter two, verses 24 and 25. Uh, there was a huge crowd that came around Jesus. His popularity was exploding and the crowds were coming 
Uh, and they all wanted a relationship with him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Uh, Jesus wasn't naive trusting everybody and he wasn't paranoid trusting nobody. He was discerning. There were people that he kept at a distance. There are people that he tested over time in relationship. There are some people that he had very warm, affectionate, you know, appropriate relationships with. John is the one that he loved. Uh, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, that uh, brother-sister situation, he loved them, spent time with them, was close with them. What I want you to think about tonight is becoming more discerning in your relationships this year. And for that to happen, I wanna give you these three lanes, the wise, the foolish, and the evil. And I'll read from Proverbs 24. And, uh, and the big point is this, we treat different people differently. One of the worst things we tell kids is treat everybody the same. Well, everybody's equal in the sight of God, but not everybody's equally safe. Not everybody's equally wise. Not, not everyone is equally godly or equally helpful. And we treat people differently and they determine how we treat them based upon how they behave. So let me, let me read for you from uh, Proverbs 24. Uh, be not envious of evil men. So some people are evil, nor desire to be with them for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. A wise man is full of strength. There's the second category. And a man of knowledge enhances his might for by wise guidance, you can wage your war and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool. There's the third category. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. So the Bible uses these categories a lot of three kinds of people. Some people are wise, some people are foolish, and some people are evil. And you need to know that so that you can have healthy relationships and you need to teach this to your kids and your grandkids. Otherwise they could find themselves in real grave danger. Um, I borrowed these categories from a book named Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. And he has in chapter seven, sort of a summation of these three. But I want you to think right now, which category are you in? And, and the most exhausting or invested relationships that you currently have, are you dealing with someone who is wise, who is foolish, or is evil? Let me deal with wise people first. So we'll just pick a group. We'll pick you guys. You guys get to be the wise people, okay? That means you guys are gonna be foolish, so, okay? And then you're evil, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my eye on you, okay? So you wise people over here, if you're wise, let me tell you a little bit about wise people. Here's what it says in Proverbs 9, eight and nine. Correct the wise, they will love you. Instruct the wise, they'll be even wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. So let's just say that none of us is wise in every area of life, amen? You can be really wise in one area and foolish in another. So you could be really good at relationships and really bad with money. Or you could be really good with money, but really bad with relationships. Just because we're wise doesn't mean we're wise in every area. We need to maintain humility. There's always something to learn. But the big idea with a, a person who is wise is this, uh, and wisdom is not necessarily intelligence. Uh, there are people who are very smart that are very evil, right? In our, in our culture, we tend to highly value your IQ and not your godliness, not your wisdom, not your fear and love of the Lord. The Bible holds in high regard your character, not just your IQ. And so wisdom is not necessarily the smartest person in the room. It's not necessarily the highest IQ, though it could possibly be. If someone is wise, they're humble. Uh, they're humble. They realize that they don't know everything. And as a result, they're teachable. They're willing to listen. They will ask questions. They wanna learn. They wanna grow. Uh, if you confront them with something, 
they're gonna consider it and not immediately become defensive. A wise person is always seeking to grow in their wisdom. What also happens with a wise person, they embrace reality. This isn't going well. Okay, well, what do I need to do to fix it? Your, your wife is crying a lot and cleaning her gun. You know, this isn't, this isn't going well. Oh, well, that's reality. I need to deal with reality. Right? A wise person will deal with reality. You tell them, you know, if you keep eating foods that end in nothing but Eidos, you're gonna die. Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, burritos, taquitos, right? Um, oh, that's reality. I'll deal with reality, okay? A wise person will deal with reality. And what happens with a wise person as well, they have empathy. They realize that the decisions they make have consequences for others. And they have a compassion when they say or do something that burdens someone else. That's where Jesus, of course, is the wisest one who's ever lived. And in the gospels, the emotion that is mentioned most of Jesus, there's about 60 occasions in the four gospels that talk about Jesus' emotions. The most commonly mentioned emotion of Jesus is compassion. He thinks of his life and how it impacts and affects other people. He's not selfish, he's selfless. That's someone who's wise. They have empathy and compassion for others. They're also responsible. You can bring responsibility to someone who is wise and they will assume that responsibility. This can be in the workplace. This can be with chores, with your kids or grandkids. This can be with someone that you're serving alongside of in ministry. They take responsibility for the things that they are responsible for and you can entrust things to them. They always seek to learn and grow and they welcome the messenger, right? If you can help me learn, if you can help me grow, then I welcome you because I wanna learn and grow. One of the wisest men who's ever lived was of course in, in our era would be uh, Billy Graham. There was a little book written some years ago called The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham. And one of the things that Billy said was, he said, I turn my critics into my coaches. The difference between a critic and a coach is not what they say, but why they say it. A critic wants to say it to hurt you. A coach says the same thing to help you. And what he said was, I receive a lot of criticism, but I turn my critics into coaches. I receive that criticism and I consider it to see if there's even something that's partially true that could cause me to become a better leader. That's not defensiveness, that's wisdom. Wisdom is saying, even if your intent is not good and much of what you're saying is not true, if there is some truth in it, I wanna receive it so that I can be wise and I can mature and I can grow in whatever God has for me. That's what wisdom is, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom understands that school is always in session and you're always ready to learn something new. And that all of life is filled with these opportunities. That's how wise people behave. What happens with a wise person as well, conflict with them, it grows and matures the relationship. How many of you have someone that you're close to and really that relationship was tested through a conflict and that actually was the springboard into a deeper, uh, truer, better, wiser, godlier relationship. So conflict with a wise person is not always a bad thing. It actually can be something that God uses. Uh, in addition, when we're dealing with those who are wise, I would say they live by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Foolish people live by the power of the flesh. Evil people live by the power of the demonic that their life is flowing out of a source. Evil people are flowing out of a demonic source. Foolish people are flowing out of a fleshly source. Wise people are flowing out of the place of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes in the Bible, the Holy Spirit and wisdom are spoken of together because he is the spirit of wisdom. 
So the key to growing in wisdom is having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he will bring you the wisdom of God. And so when it comes to those who are wise, what do we give to those who are wise? You give them more. You give them more time. You give them more energy. You give them more input. You give them more responsibility. You give them more opportunity because they're a good return on investment. They're like a bucket that has a bottom in it. They retain everything you pour into them. They keep it, and they're a good investment. Um, I'll give you an example of what this um, looks like. Um, We've got some premarital couples in the church that are heading toward their big wedding day. And it's one of the things that my wife, Grace, and I just love to do. We love to help get young couples sort of ready to launch into their life together. And there's uh, one young man um, that I spoke with recently, and he's a first-generation Christian in his family. And in his family, there's a lot of foolishness and evil. I mean, some of the things that his family have done with drugs and alcohol and money and infidelity, it's just foolishness. Some of the ways they treated their kids and let their daughters be abused, it was evil. And he's a man who is new to Christ, has recently met the Lord Jesus, and he really wants to take responsibility. He wants to be the first link in the chain, brand new family legacy. He wants the way his family has behaved to come to an end. And he wants he and his wife to be like a patriarch and a matriarch, start a whole new family line, new lineage, new legacy, new, new precedence. And so he started thinking through the categories that he could grow and learn. And he realized, okay, I wanna be a good husband. So he prayed and thought about somebody that he knew who was a great husband and wrote down the questions he'd wanna ask him. He said, and I wanna be good with my finances. So he thought through somebody that he knew that was really good with their finances and then prayed that they would be willing to meet with him and wrote down the questions that he would ask. He did the same thing with parenting. He said, we wanna have a good sized family. And he said, I'm looking forward to being a dad but I didn't grow up in a family that had good parenting. So he thought of the best couple that he knew who loved the Lord and had godly kids. And he wrote down the questions he would ask them. Then he pursued these people and he said, could I meet with you for one hour? They all said, yes. And so when he met with them, he prayed, he took out his notebook. He said, okay, here's my story. Here's my questions. I'm gonna speak very little. I'm gonna listen very much. And I want you to tell me about marriage. I want you to tell me about parenting. I want you to tell me about finances or home buying. Tell me everything I need to learn, websites I can go to, books I can read, things I can do. What, what advice would you have for me? And he wrote it all down. Is that a wise person? That's wisdom. Wisdom asks, wisdom seeks, wisdom learns. And what he said I thought was brilliant at the very end of each of his meetings. He asked them, could you please pray for me and my wife and our family? as they're on the precipice of getting married. And everyone did. And then at the end, he said, I promise you everything that you've told me to do, I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna act on it. I'm going to do what you have instructed me to do. In the future, if I need to learn more, would you be willing to meet with me again? Everyone said, yes, that's wisdom. This is not a man who knows a lot, but he wants to know a lot and he's humble enough to receive it. So again, that's why the scriptures say, correct the wise, they will love you. Hey, thanks for helping. Um, Instruct the wise, they'll be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they'll learn even more. So that's wise, okay? Now the question for you is, are there areas in your life where you're wise and you wanna be humble about this, right? A wise person doesn't put wisdom and humility on their LinkedIn page, right? Like I am both wise and humble. 
because that's, that's what foolish, arrogant people do, okay? So, but, but if you're being humble and saying, there are some areas that God has imparted wisdom to me, so start thinking about this year, who could I help? Maybe you're good with money and you're an older guy who succeeded at business. Is there a younger guy starting his business? Maybe you are a woman who really knows the word of God and there's some younger women who don't know how to study the word of God. Are there some wisdom things that God has given you that you could deep, uh, make a, a deposit in the life of someone else and impart to them? The other thing is to be thinking this year and starting this week, are there any things in my life that I just need wisdom? If I'm honest, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not wise in this area. Relationships, finances, health, Scripture, whatever the case may be. Who do I know that's wise? How could I wisely prepare to meet with them? How could I wisely prepare to learn from them? Second lane, foolish people. Okay, foolish people are not necessarily people who lack intellect, they lack the humility to learn. Some of you are raising this teenager and I'm glad you brought them tonight. This will be very helpful for them, right? What happens when you're dealing with foolish people, all they wanna do is argue. And the internet does not help. Um, internet is the Greek word for foolish. And so uh, <laughs> when it comes to foolish people, let me give you two verses. Uh, Proverbs 1.7, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Meaning you can't teach them anything, they know everything. Or they have an excuse. You're like, hey, this is how it works. Not for me, this is how it works. Well, you don't know what happened. They have always got an excuse. They don't want wisdom and they don't like discipline. They don't like order. They don't like responsibility. They don't like habits. They're always looking for a get rich quick scheme or a shortcut and there isn't one. That's the mark of foolishness. Another scripture, Proverbs 26.3, guide a horse with a whip, a donkey with a bridle and a fool with a rod to his back. Uh, Pastor Mark, are you gonna hit us tonight? No. Uh, just reading scripture. But what it does say here is this, that foolish people learn through painful consequences, right? That's what happens. Wise people let other people pay their dumb tax, okay? There's always a dumb tax and somebody's got to pay it. So you let somebody else pay your dumb tax and they come to you and they say, boy, that was dumb. Don't do that. Okay, I'll write that down. I'll let you pay my dumb tax. A foolish person is always paying their own dumb tax. They don't learn about money till they've lost all their money. They don't go call a marriage counselor until their spouse has left, right? They don't read a parenting book until their kids are breaking commandments on YouTube, right? They, they, it, it, it's never too late, but it can be more painful the longer you wait. And foolish people, they only learn through painful consequences. Pain is what motivates a foolish person. They don't change, they don't get a job. They don't move forward. They don't read their Bible. They don't start healthy habits until it hurts so bad that a crisis has come. Now, let's just be honest and say that all of us have areas in our life or seasons in our life where we're foolish, amen? I have, for sure. I've had seasons in my life. I look back and go, there were some very foolish decisions in there. There are things I have said and done that I would look back and even in the recent you know, history and say, that was foolish. So we all need to have a measure of humility and honesty if we're to walk with integrity and just say, okay, humility is something that allows me to be honest about my foolishness. And the first step in overcoming my foolishness is acknowledging the places that I am in fact are indeed foolish. Now, let me, let me say a couple of things about foolish people as well. Sometimes foolish people are just, they're proud because they don't embrace reality. They want reality to adjust for them. 
right? Some of you are raising that kid. You're like, if you don't do your homework and you don't get to school on time, you're not gonna graduate. And they're like, I disagree. Reality doesn't change for you. Reality doesn't change for you, right? Gravity doesn't say, oh, Steve's here. We no longer abide by the same rules, right? That, that reality is something that you and I need to adjust to. And it does not adjust for us, but foolish people are proud. They're waiting for everyone and everything to orbit around them, to accommodate them, to adjust them. So in that regard, they can be incredibly selfish. They can be very unteachable. Uh, what sometimes happens too, when you, when you correct a person who's foolish or you seek to instruct them, they turn into what Proverbs calls a mocker, a mocker. What they do then is they just start making fun of you. They shoot the messenger. See a wise person? They'll welcome the messenger. A foolish person, they're gonna shoot the messenger. You can't teach me anything. You can't tell me what to do. You're no better than me. You know, let me talk about stuff in your life and here's the mistakes you've made. And hey, since we're talking about criticizing, how about it's my turn and I criticize you? And all of a sudden the foolish person then becomes the one who turns into the mocker. Now they're making fun of you and making it very personal. Let me say this just practically for those of you who are parents. If you bite this bait, you will get dragged into death. Your children who are foolish, they will mock you and then they'll want you to leave your position as parent and enter into a relationship as sibling and start fighting with them. Like if you're a mom, like with the kids, it'd be sister fighting or, or, or sister fighting with brother or sister fighting with sister. If you're the dad, you find yourself, if you've got a kid who's foolish and you correct them and then they start mocking you, if you act foolishly and respond foolishly, next thing you know, you're acting like one of the kids. You're, saying, you're, you're yelling, you're saying things, you're engaging in a way that feels way more like two little kids are having an argument, not a parent is leading a foolish child. You understand what I'm talking about? We've all been there, right? Because kids drive us crazy. That's their spiritual gift. This is just an observation, okay? This is just an observation. But what happens with a foolish person as well, um, they tend to have low empathy. They don't think about how their decisions cause pain or trouble to others. Some of you know you love someone who's foolish and the decisions they make burden you or other people, family and friends. The decisions they make are really messes they make and you've got to come up and clean up the messes after them. And they're kind of oblivious to the fact that their life is like a circus and everyone else is following the elephant around with a shovel. They don't, they don't really pay attention to the fact that what they're doing is burdening other people and it is breaking relationship and it's frustrating others and it's emotionally expensive and it's financially expensive because they're very selfish. And sometimes a foolish person doesn't notice it because they consider themselves a righteous victim. Let me, let me say this carefully but sometimes a suffering person can be the most selfish person. Because a suffering person could be someone who says, something has happened to me, and I think that everyone in my world should now stop what they're doing, orbit around me, serve me, empathize with me, help me, and any foolish decisions I make are not really my fault, I'm just a victim. And the truth is, there are real victims in this world. But selfishness is not the right response to suffering. It's pivoting toward wisdom 
to learn and to have also some consideration for others. I had a conversation uh, not too long ago with a, a family and um, the dad tragically committed adultery and left the family. And the mother entered into a season of foolishness, just responding in a way that was not mature, not godly, not helpful. She actually became very angry. She sort of blamed this horrible state on God. And so she felt like God owed her and she just had a right to kind of say and do whatever she wanted. And as a result of her selfishness, she really lost sight of her children. She had young children. And so we met and talked and prayed and, and uh, her young daughter said, mom, you're not the only one who's hurting. You could actually see it in her mom's face. That was the first time she'd considered that. See, when her husband left, she hurt so bad that she became so consumed with her own suffering that she became selfish and forgot that her kids were suffering too because they'd lost their dad. So as a result of her responding in a foolish way, she became selfish. And as a result, the kids were suffering doubly because they lost their dad and they kind of lost their mom. See how this works? Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been through a lot. And some of you are using it as an excuse to do foolish things, to believe foolish things, uh, to say foolish things. And, and ultimately it's an opportunity for you to pivot toward wisdom. And I'm sorry for the suffering that you've been through. And I'm not trying to be mean-spirited or hard-hearted, but let's just be honest and say that we all know someone who's been through a hard time and as a result, they've made foolish decisions and they have reset their life course and they see themselves as a righteous victim and everyone is heartbroken over their life except for them. That's foolishness. Because foolishness ultimately leads to self-destruction. Now, what happens as well, let me talk a little bit about um, foolish people. Sometimes foolish people are really, really fun, right? How many of you know somebody who's really, really, really fun? I mean like really, really, really fun. Sometimes a foolish person is fairly popular because they don't, they don't think of things like responsibility or cost. They just kind of have a good time. And sometimes a foolish person will think that they're doing very well because there's a lot of people around them. Here's the deal. We have fun with foolish people, but we don't respect them. See the difference? We have fun with foolish people, but we don't respect them. We wouldn't hire them, we wouldn't marry them, we wouldn't let our kids marry them, we wouldn't ask them for advice, and we surely would not let them balance our checkbook, amen? We would not let them do that. They're fun, but they're irresponsible. They're fun, but they're not respectable, okay? When it comes to a foolish person, what do you do with a foolish person? Well, what a foolish person tends to do, they tend to shift their burdens. Some of you, I'm just gonna share something that may be enlightening. What irresponsible people do, they find overly responsible people. Okay, how many of you are overly responsible people? Any overly hyper-responsible people in the room? Okay, I would ask you irresponsible people to raise your hand, but I know you won't, so I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hand. Okay, what happens is, Irresponsible people find overly responsible people and they back up their truck of responsibilities and dump their load. Boop, 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 boop. <sighs> Could you pay my bills? Could you do my laundry? Could I drive your car? Can I live at your house? Hey mom, 
Can you take the crust off my peanut butter and jelly sandwiches even though I'm 37? You back up your truck. True story, about a third of guys in their 20s and early 30s are living with their mom. That would be one illustration of an irresponsible person finding an overly responsible person. We're gonna heal your family tonight. Let me give you a little advice on young men. Pastor Jimmy, can I make fun of young men? Is that okay? The key for a guest speaker is to make the senior pastor look incredible. So I'm about to just accomplish that in a significant way. All right, so the most foolish people right now in our culture, I would submit are young men. Amen? Amen? I mean, it's true. Young single men, 20s and 30s, less likely to go to church. Church is 60% female, 40% male. That's why a lot of godly young women are having a hard time finding a potential husband. Right, ladies? Okay, fairly enthusiastic, okay. Um, And some tears. Okay, that's okay, I understand. Women are more likely than men to be in college. Women are more likely than men to be in the workforce. The only place that there are more men than women is prison. Um, (laughs) A couple of women laugh. Okay, then dump him. Okay, so anyways, just something to pray about. So what happens is with young men, what we've created is a whole cultural life stage for young men to be foolish. We call it adolescence. It used to be that you would be a boy and then there would be some rite of passage and you would be a man. And as a man, you would leave your mom and dad's house and you would get something called a job. And then you would work the job and you would marry and have a family and take responsibility. Well, what happened is we created an interim life stage for young men that's adolescence. And now the question is, when does a young man become a man? Is it 16 when he gets his driver's license? Is it 18 when he graduates? Is it 21 when he can buy a beer? Is it when he graduates from college? Is it when he gets married? Is it when he has a kid? Nobody knows. So today, the average young man is marrying 30 plus years of age for the first time, okay? Between you know, high school graduation and 30, he's not spending all of his time reading Leviticus, okay? And, and focusing on his prayer life while he does mission work. Okay, that's not what he's doing. He's breaking commandments. He's dating, relating, and fornicating. That's what he's doing, okay? And in that time, what has happened is an entire industry has come in to feed that foolishness. So all it is, it's drugs and it's food and it's games and it's cars and it's, it's all kinds of debt and credit cards and irresponsibility and living with your girlfriend. And when she kicks you out, you move back in with your mom. So you sort of bounce between these two women. Your mom's like, get out. And your girlfriend's like, come in. And then your girlfriend's like, get out. And your mom's like, come in. Some of you guys, this ping pong match is your life, okay? So, and I'll just say this to the single guys in their 20s and 30s. A woman wants to marry you and have kids. She doesn't want to marry you and have you be the kid, okay? Amen, okay? And so if it's, if you're at the point where you're a guy and like you're at the mall getting pushed around by your girlfriend, drinking beer out of a sippy cup, right? (laughs) It's time for plan B, okay? It's time for plan B because that's foolishness. But our world is just filled with lots and lots and lots and lots of foolishness. 
And I love you, but some of you parents, even with your adult children, you're enabling their foolishness. Well, Tommy can't move out, he doesn't have a job. I bet you if you kick Tommy out, he'll find a job. I bet you, you see little motivation. Into, well, he won't leave. Okay, just something to pray about. Taser him and drag him out. <laughs> just taser him. He's not gonna kill him. It just, just taser him and then drag him out and then lock the door, okay? And then tell Tommy, figure it out. Okay, figure it out, Tommy. Because what foolish people do, they're irresponsible and they find overly responsible people to transfer their responsibilities to. How many of you right now, there are people in your life that you're doing things for them that you should not be doing for them and somehow you're not even sure how you got into this situation and you don't know how to get out of this situation, but all of a sudden they have transferred their whole life burden to you. That's what foolish people do. And sometimes they do it relationally and they make you feel guilty. But if you really love them, you want them to grow wise and enabling a foolish person isn't really helping a foolish person because they're not moving toward wisdom. And sometimes what happens with a foolish person, when you dump their responsibilities back on them, they get very angry and hurt. Hey, I thought you were here to help me. I thought we were friends. I thought you loved me. They may even pull out a Bible verse, okay? That's the Christian way of being irresponsible, okay? You find a verse, um, but it is, putting that responsibility on them. And this is my word, particularly to young men. Young men, I always say are like trucks, they drive straighter with a load of responsibility, okay? So as a parent or a grandparent, or if you're a single guy or a young guy, it is loading yourself up with responsibilities because that's how you mature is by taking on responsibilities. What I would say is that wise people live by the power of the Holy Spirit, Foolish people live by the power of the flesh. They self-indulge, selfish, foolish, unproductive, unfruitful desires. We'll talk about evil people, okay? Evil people is the third category, and I'll, I'll read this scripture for you from Proverbs chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. Wisdom will save you from evil people. Let me just hit this. Are there evil people? Yes, sometimes when you're raised in church, you're like, we're supposed to love everybody and hug everybody and be nice to everybody and trust everybody because everybody's got a good heart. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. They're nasty people. They're some really nasty people. Now, if all the people in your life are nasty, you got a broken picker, okay? Not everybody's nasty, but there are some very dangerous, evil people. How many of you have a teenage daughter and are terrified about dating, sending her off to college, letting her go off with some guy. How many of you, that's terrifying? It is for me. As a dad, it's a very dangerous world. There are some very evil people and I've got two lovely daughters and it's scary. My oldest daughter's at college and she's 20 and she loves the Lord and she's doing well. But even as her dad, I just, boy, I got a little apprehension. Like, is she okay? She loves to travel and she loves to go on trips and mission work. But I, I still, as a dad, it's like, is she okay? Because I know that there are some very evil people in this world. I, I grew up in a neighborhood filled with evil people. I grew up next to a strip club, next to an airport, and in our neighborhood were two serial killers, uh, Ted Bundy and the Green River Killer. That's where I grew up. I mean, I know evil. I know dangerous, violent, scary people exist in this world. Proverbs talks about them, the Bible talks about them. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Uh, these men turn the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong. 
So foolish people, they inadvertently cause you problems. Evil people intentionally cause you harm. A foolish person, they're like, oh, I didn't mean to. I wasn't thinking about you when I made that stupid decision. I'm sorry it hurt you. An evil person is, that's what I was hoping would happen. They like to inflict pain. They like to inflict harm. They like to hurt people. Okay? Some of you men are like that. Your wife can't say anything because she's scared of you. But somebody needs to tell you that that domineering, overbearing, you know, stern furrowed brow, pointed finger, intimidation tactic, it's evil. It's evil. It's evil. And, and you like it that way because you, you can win and you can dominate. But no man ever wanna fight with his wife because the two are one. And you're supposed to love each other and do life together. Women can be this way as well, but in this world, let's just be honest that sometimes it is men who are physically more capable of inflicting great pain and harm, and it puts women sometimes in harm's way. He's talking about this very, very bluntly. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong, and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked and their ways are wrong. Just listen to these words, evil, twisted, dark, crooked, wrong. Evil people are dangerous. Some of you know people like that. They're dangerous. They're, they're people that actually you're afraid of, right? If they showed up at your house, oh boy, right? If you had to deal with them, it's like a grenade with a pin pulled. How do I get myself away from this without getting blown up? Again, when it comes to relationships, it's three lanes. Wise people like this, foolish people like this, evil people like this. Everybody needs to be in the right lane. Otherwise, there's a lot of relational conflict and collision. What happens with an evil person as well, uh, they oftentimes have been hurt and wounded. I know here you get good teaching and you've heard a lot about this, but sometimes when someone is deeply hurt, if they've not experienced inner healing through the Holy Spirit and really been healed up by God, as a hurt person, they go out and hurt people. Sometimes they're demonically tormented. And as they're tormented, they go out and torment people. Because they are hurt, they like to hurt. Because they're tormented, they like to torment. Because something bad has happened to them, they feel justified in doing evil toward others. Those kind of people are very scary. They're very, very dangerous. Um, and some of you have some people like that in your life or maybe their family or friends. And those can be the hardest relationships when it's relatives that are unsafe and you're not sure how to get those appropriate boundaries. Well, what do you do with a wise person? You give them more, more time, more energy, more access, more love, more information. What do you do with a foolish person? You give them less, less time, less access, less money, and you give them consequences and boundaries. I'm not gonna give you money until you go get a job. I'm not gonna help you with that until you take the first step. Until you do something, I'm not gonna do anything. There needs to be some accountability. With evil people, you give them nothing, nothing, nothing. Because any time, energy, money you give them or information, they're gonna use it to harm you. They're gonna cause harm. Some of you have seen business relationships like this. 
You're like, boy, I told them some stuff and they used it to harm us. Some of you have relationships like this. You confided in someone and they use that information to gossip and attack you and, and it wasn't helpful in any single way. So we treat different people differently and people will determine how we treat them based upon how they behave. So what you can do with a person who is wise, you can have a personal relationship. They're your friends. Someone who's foolish, you need to have what I would call a more pastoral relationship. You gotta think more like a pastor does with a congregant who's not well or wise. What you have with an evil person is a relationship that is professional. Talk to my attorney, you need to go meet with a therapist, a professional needs to get involved. Those people are not beyond help, but they're beyond your help. They need God and a professional who can help them. It doesn't mean they're beyond help, but they're beyond your help. And sometimes we have this sort of rescuer, hero, savior mentality, I'm gonna fix them. And some of us even get into romantic relationships with people thinking I will fix them. No, you won't. They're drowning and they don't want a lifeguard. So swimming in after them only puts you in harm's way. It doesn't put them in the way of being rescued. It puts you in the way of being drowned. How many of you right now, you've got some people that you can think of in these categories. What happens with wise people, those relationships get really good gas mileage. Foolish people get really bad gas mileage. Evil people get no gas mileage. It doesn't matter how much you put in, there's no progress. Foolish people, you get really bad gas mileage. So much time, so much energy, so many tears, so much investment, so much involvement, and there's so little progress. Wise person, they get great gas mileage. When Grace and I first got married, uh, I had a truck with two gas tanks, which should have been an indication to me that it was not gonna get good gas mileage, but I bought it because it looked awesome. And it was a lifted up 1976 Chevy Silverado, a four-wheel drive, um, made in America, and it got gallons to the mile, not miles to the gallon. And so anytime Grace and I, as a new married couple, had to go somewhere, she got a Nissan. Um, and I forgave her, but you know, she had a Nissan and, uh, and her Nissan got really good gas mileage, like 30, 40 miles a gallon. My truck literally got like six or seven miles to the gallon, depending upon how I was driving it, if you know what I'm talking about. And so what would happen is every time we had a road trip as a new married couple, we would never take my truck because of the horrible gas mileage. Your life energy has to be invested. If you invest it in people who are wise, you're gonna get really good gas mileage. You tell somebody who's wise and they just start rolling. You give them instruction, they go right to action. They're less likely and prone to fight and to argue. They're gonna go to work. A foolish person, they're gonna get bad gas mileage. They're gonna be like driving my old truck. Man, I gotta keep talking to you, keep praying for you, keep following up with you, keep calling you, keep checking in. I mean, you're making progress, but holy smokes, it's such bad gas mileage. It's so much energy to get you to move. Evil people, it doesn't matter how much time or energy or money you put in, they're not moving because they don't have the want to. The key to everything is the want to. Once someone has the want to, you can help them figure out the how to. If a guy comes in and says, I don't wanna love my wife, all the how to in the world doesn't help. Right? I don't wanna be emotionally connected or invested in my kid. All the how to in the world doesn't matter if the want to isn't there. A wise person wants to, 
An evil person does not want to. You get the difference? So you can give all the how-to to an evil person and they will not act on it because they don't have the want to. So where is this all going? Six kinds of relationships. And then I'll, I'll close with this. Um, the first kind, what happens when you get a wise and a foolish person? You get a parental relationship. The wise person is always tending to and looking after the foolish person like a parent and a child. Some of you had this inverted situation in your home. You were the kid, but your dad was the drunk, and so you felt like the parent. And you're trying to be the wise one, sort of overcoming the folly of your own parent. If you're married to someone and they're foolish, it feels like a parental relationship. The worst I ever saw, true story, I walked into a home and there was a chore chart for all of the kids and the husband. <laughs> I was like, weird. I said, well, what's the deal? She said, uh, without this, they won't do their chores. I said, well, that's interesting. I was like a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and, and their dad on the chart. And he, I'll be honest with you, he had the least gold stars. He did. He had the least gold stars. It's a true story. Um, and I looked at her, I said, well, how did your husband get on the chart? She said, you know, he just never helps out. I can't depend on him for anything. So I just treat him like one of the kids. How do you think that romantic relationship was? Not good. I looked at that guy, I was like, really? You, you're the worst guy on the chore chart. I kid you not, true story, she gave them each an allowance predicated upon their chores and he rarely got his full allowance. How many of you ladies would not be attracted to that man? Okay, okay that's a parental relationship. They're married, but she's like the mom, he's like the, he's like the kid, okay? What happens when you get a wise and an evil person? An evil person continually wants to close the distance and get close to the wise person. And a wise person maintains boundaries. Nope, you cannot come to our house. Nope, you cannot have our cell phone number. Nope, you cannot date our daughter. Nope, we're not going into business. Nope, I'm not gonna give you money. Distance. Has to be a distant relationship. And every time an evil person moves toward a wise person, a wise person maintains that boundary of distance. And evil people will check in once in a while, see if you're willing to close that distance. How about a foolish and a foolish person? That's a codependent relationship, right? This is, these are two people who drink together. These are two people who do drugs together. These are two people who commit crimes together. These are two people who create havoc together. Uh, these are two people that are both foolish and they do it together and they enable one another. Some of you know what that looks like, right? Some of you know exactly what that looks like. Some of you called this college, okay? That's what that was for you. What happens when you get a foolish person and an evil person? You get an abusive relationship because evil people take advantage of foolish people. Foolish people are not paying much attention and evil people are very calculated and very dangerous. Some of you women, some of you women are in dating relationships with evil men. And, and you're foolish because you think, oh, what, he says he loves me. No, when he hits you, he doesn't. Well, he says I could trust him. When he cheats on you, you can't, okay? Wisdom is proved right. The Bible says that wisdom is proved by, right by her what? Actions, 
It's not just what is said, it's what is done that shows whether someone is wise, foolish, or evil. When you get a foolish person with an evil person, that evil person uses and abuses that foolish person. Fifth category, what happens when you get two evil people? They're like two barrels on a gun. This is like Bonnie and Clyde, right? These are two people who they are dangerous. They form an unholy alliance. And man, when they come together, there is trouble. These are business partners that are ruthless. These are married couples that are cruel and heartless. These are people who are very, very dangerous. And when they come together, boy, they really multiply the harm that they cause. The room's gotten heavy. I love you. I believe that the quality of relationships determines the quality of your life. I believe that this year, you can have a great plan for your finances, you can have a great budget, you can have a great plan for your health and execute on your commitment to go to the gym and work out and to eat healthy. I believe you can read your Bible every single day and grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe this year, unless you have a plan for your relationships, the quality of your life will not be significantly impacted because I ultimately believe that the quality of your life is directly connected to the quality of your relationships. That healthy relationships provide an enjoyable life and painful relationships cause a painful life. So I'm gonna invite the band forward and I, I wanted to come as a pastor tonight for two reasons. One, I want to invite you to make a covenant and a commitment in the house of God to pursue wisdom this year. Is there any area in your life that's foolish? It's immature, it's irresponsible, it's a habit, it's a pattern. Maybe even it started with your parents or your grandparents or you picked it up when you were young and, and now it's time to put childish ways behind you. Is there anything tonight that the Spirit of God would burden you and say, that's just foolish. Jesus died for that, so let's just bury that tonight and then go home and leave it in the presence of God and not take it into the presence of our life? Is there anything foolish in your life tonight that you really just need to hand over to the Lord, repent of, walk away from, acknowledge? Is there anything in your life that's evil, that really is dark? It's a part of you that's shameful. It's, it's part of you that you're disgusted by part that you're frustrated by, part that you're broken by, part that you're hoping doesn't get revealed and nobody else comes to know or see. Well, then I have good news for you. Jesus Christ died for sin and sinners. And there's nothing you have done that he cannot defeat. There's nothing you have done that he won't forgive. There is nothing that has ensnared you that he can't deliver you from, amen? How many people in the room have been delivered from evil things? Would you testify with me that Jesus Christ has that kind of power? And then I wanna give you the permission this year to treat different people differently. Not mean, not angry, not self-righteous, not judgmental, but discerning. To pursue those who are wise so you can grow in wisdom to have consequences and boundaries with those who are foolish so that you can get some of your life energy back and have distance from those who are evil so that you can protect yourself, protect your family, protect your finances, protect your own well-being. 
I believe that the quality of your year is largely contingent upon the quality of your relationships. And I'm jealous for you to have a healthy year as an increasingly healthy person, having increasingly healthy relationships, growing in wisdom with people who are growing in wisdom so that we all grow to become more like Jesus. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to bring what I hope is a hopeful, helpful, pastoral word here at this glorious, good and great church. God, this is a great house. There are great leaders. There are great people. There is great ministry. But God, I know relationally with this many people, there's also great complexity. There's great pain. There's great hurt. There's great difficulty. There's, There's great frustration. God, I pray for an unburdening of these dear people right now that they would not feel like they need to save those who are evil, but they could hand that burden to the Lord Jesus because he alone can save. That they would hand that burden of saving foolish people from their decisions to you, Lord Jesus, and that they could come alongside, but they wouldn't have to be in that position of deliverer and savior. They could just be friend or confidant or corrector or wise counsel. Lord, if there are any here tonight that really have been evil, I pray for a heartbreak and a, a relationship with you where they would be forgiven and changed, where they would pursue wisdom and health. For those, Lord God, we have foolish decisions we've made or are making. Please help us to pursue wisdom this year, to pursue wise people this year and to grow in wisdom. And so Holy Spirit, I invite your presence right here amongst your people. If there's something you need to tell them, Holy Spirit, ask right now in the strong name of Jesus, show them what that is right now. If it's foolish, show them. If it's evil, show them. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Dear son, dear daughter, this is not condemnation. This is conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to freedom, that leads to deliverance, that leads to joy. Lord God, if there's anybody in their life that is foolish, that they need to adjust the relationship with this year. I pray you'd show them right now in the strong name of Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone in their life who is evil and Lord God, as painful as it might be for them to really come to that conclusion, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that right now you would show them and that they would love that person and forgive that person and want good for that person, but know that the help that they need is from the Lord and a professional. Lord, I pray for these dear people. I pray for their relationship with you. I pray for their relationships this year, starting in their marriages and with their families and friends and those who serve alongside of them here at this dear church. Lord, I pray that this would be an ongoing place of health, hope, healing, and healthy relationships so that people could live free and joyful lives together. In Jesus' good name, amen.